Okay, great. So um, my couple of case presentations that I have is essentially an extension of the, the talk that I gave this morning. So we're going to go through the cases, um, and then there'll be um, some educational slides um, after the cases. And then there's also a few spots where, as they call an epic, some hard stops where I'm not going to keep going until you answer. So <laughs> be prepared for that. So the first case is a 54-year-old female with long-standing Crohn's disease. In the past, she's had a total proctocolectomy with an endoleostomy, and she presents with a new abdominal bulge. Uh, so she comes in. You can see she's got hypertension, diabetes, um, and a couple other surgical um, repairs in the past. She's a non-smoker, no other um, or real alcohol, no illicits. She does work as a stalker in a warehouse. Um, allergy to penicillin, and you can see her medications. So she tells you that she first noticed the bulge next to her stoma a couple weeks ago. She says she doesn't really cause her any pain, but she just doesn't like the way that it looks because it's um, kind of sticking out around there. She, de she denies any uh, nausea or vomiting or any recent changes to her ostomy output, quality, or quantity. No blood in her output, um, but she does feel like for the past month that Maybe she's having a few more appliance leaks than she um, has had in the past. On her physical exam, everything is um, relatively normal. She is overweight at 259 pounds. Um, and then on her um, belly exam, her ostomy looks um, uh, pink, patent, and productive. And then lateral ultrastoma, um, you do notice that there's a moderate-sized bulge that's approximately 5 centimeters in dia uh, diameter, which is... Um, more pronounced when you have her Valsalva. Um, you don't notice any skin discoloration or um, problems with that. So what is your diagnosis, and what do you think should also be in your differential? So, um, so yes, so this uh, patient had an asymptomatic peristomal hernia. Um, the asymptomatic part's the important part um, when it comes to when we're going to talk about treatment. As far as what else could be in your differential, it's a little um, less likely, but there are a few things, especially because she is a Crohn's disease patient. So just because it's a bulge next to your stoma doesn't mean it's always going to be um, a hernia. So depending on what else they're telling you, they could have an abscess that's forming underneath there. Um, they could have a, a fistula that's starting to burrow through. Um, and then... Um, also something to think about is that um, sometimes with these loop stomas, we, um, like I said, we try to sometimes put the efferent loop a little lower, and sometimes they can kind of be beneath the surface, and so that can kind of mask a, um, a hernia, but like I said, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, another thing to uh, keep in mind is that in these patients, we generally, unless we're concerned about some of these other things based on other things that they're telling us, um, the diagnosis is a clinical diagnosis that um, can be made, so it rarely requires any imaging. Um, so in your case, if you're seeing this patient in the clinic, um, you know, you would just want to um, refer them to the colorectal surgeon, both just so they can get a formal assessment to can, um, confirm the diagnosis, even if you're pretty sure that's what they have but also for um, um, education so that they can know, you know what they should look out for moving forward. So for this patient with the asymptomatic peristomal hernia, what would you plan to do for them? So the device is um, a great idea to help support. What else, anything else you would recommend? Are you going to recommend to stop all lifting? 
kind of, right? So, you, you know, you definitely want to tell them to avoid it if they can, but obviously, you know, you're not necessarily going to tell her to quit her job if it's required. Uh, sometimes we can recommend um, if they can get modifications. So sometimes if they realize that this is causing this problem, then they may be able to modify what, they're, um, what they do with their job or get some, mm-hmm. you know, lighter uh, duty options. So that's where the education comes um, into, into play. Uh, so there's just a couple other things. So obviously the biggest thing would be the hernia support belt. We also sometimes um, kind of recommend that patients use these from the get-go. So if they have a lifestyle and if we would have, you know, seen this patient before knowing that she was a stalker and lifting heavy things, you can use them um, for preventative measures as well um, to prevent them from even getting a hernia in the first place. It's obviously not foolproof. People can wear hernia support belts and... Um, still get hernias. We, all the time in the hospital, make makeshift ones where we just use the abdominal binder and we just cut a hole in it. Um, although I will say I've seen some where people cut a hole like this big and I'm like, that's not really doing anything. But um, you want just enough of, an, of a hole to uh, allow the output to come out without you know, being too compressed. Um, sometimes we will, if it's not very large, we can even trial changing their appliance and using a convex wafer. So again, just like... Um, if that stoma is retracted, that we can use a convex wafer to push that skin around. If it's just a small bulge, using the convex one will kind of push it down and, and um, create some support. Again, we talked about avoiding heavy lifting. The other thing is is encouraging weight loss. Um, this patient was overweight, and a lot of times if we can just get that big belly to go down a bit, then the hernia is going to be much less pronounced um, and less of a problem. And then again, one of the biggest things um, on here is education on the signs and symptoms of both strangulation and incarceration and when they should be worried and call us or go to the emergency room. Um, so that's really important. And um, for your practical purposes, uh, like I said before, I would also refer them to colorectal surgery and make sure they're getting a, a formal evaluation. And again, moving forward in this patient, the goal is to prevent progression um, of the hernia and the size of it increasing because as of right now, she is um, asymptomatic. However, nine months later, the, pre- uh, the patient prevents um, again in your clinic, uh, just for her regular follow-up with you, um, and she says that the hernia is now significantly increased in size. She's now having pain whenever she's exercising or coughing. Um, it's starting to affect her, uh, her job. She, again, has no change in her ostomy output, quality or quantity, no bleeding. Um, but again, the pouching, which had been a little bit difficult, is now um, becoming a daily problem. She's leaking um, almost daily. She's very distressed by this. Um, she's been working on losing weight like you recommended and is down 20 pounds, but um, recently also had to reduce her exercise secondary to pain from the hernia. Um, as you can see, her weight is down. Again, her exam hasn't changed too much except for now. Um, again, the same hernia, you are able to kind of feel a, a fascial defect of about 10 centimeters. Um, you are still able to retract it so it's not, um, or to reduce it so it's not um, um, incarcerated or restricted. And she has a little bit of pain uh, when you palpate during Valsalva. So now what would your recommendations be? Yeah, absolutely. So in this circumstance, absolutely, you're going you're gonna to send them to colorectal surgery. Um, and I would probably say also, like, 
follow up with this patient and make sure that they go. Because as we all know, not all patients that you just put the referral in and, and you know, press sign order actually make it to the surgeon. So um, refer to uh, colorectal surgery. And then again, use that time in the office for education to re review those emergent signs and symptoms um, for when they should um, seek out emergent care. So just a little bit of a review again. Any stoma that we create is an intentionally created hernia, so keep that in mind. But over time, they're going to um, um, that intra-abdominal pressure can um, cause tissue fatigue and enlarge that stoma opening and um, increase the likelihood. Uh, and again, remember that it's extra uh, extra bowel that's coming up alongside where our opening is. Uh, really big problem uh, affects up to 50% within the first year. And then again, all, these are all of our um, risk factors. Again, this is an example of what our, the support belts look like. Um, we, sometimes patients will come in and they think they're using a support belt because it's the a skinny belt that just attaches to the stoma appliance itself. That's actually not a hernia support belt. That's just a support belt. So the weight of the output in the bag isn't... Um, um, causing it to pull down so that it comes away from their skin. So it has to be a thicker, um, more supportive belt to actually help with the hernia. And then again, like we talked about, you can um, modify the appliance and then modify their activities. And then um, surgical repair isn't an option um, when they start to cause a lot of problems. So for the second case, this is a 25-year-old man, uh, male with ulcerative colitis. He's also had a colectomy with an endoleostomy who um, presents with new peristomal skin lesion. And I believe this is an actual patient, and he was actually after his first step of a J-pouch. So the idea was that, you know, we were going to get him better and then move on with his other um, pouch procedures. So he actually was initially diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and then it was changed in, um, to UC a little bit later um, after he had some different um, biopsies that came back more consistent with UC. He doesn't smoke, which is good. He um, doesn't have any other um, elicits. He's a student, no family history, um, and his review of systems with normal except for his um, skin irritation. So... This is, um, per his, like I said, he was initially diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He'd been on some biologics. He had some adherence issues due to insurance and compliance. Um, and then, like I said, was changed to UC. And for the most part, he's been compliant on his um, meds. He came to us. That was all done at an outside hospital. And then he came to us um, and required the emergent colectomy for a sigmoid perforation. And he also had a fistula and... Uh, PE and all the other complications our patients can get. Again, at the point we were at at this point is that we had asked him to lose weight before moving forward with the second stage um, so he would have a better outcome. And he had some complications with non-healing um, wounds and, um, and some nutrition visits. So when he presents to see you, he um, states he's overall been doing well, but for the past few weeks, he's got this new skin irritation that he hasn't had before. Um, some, you know, causes him pain and frequent leaks, no change in anything with his ostomy, no bleeding, denies any obstructive um, or blockage symptoms. On physical exam, again, he's overweight, otherwise um, no other concerns. His stoma looks fine, um, but he does have some scattered areas, mainly on the right side, where his, um, the skin looks pretty red and irritated. And then he also has 
a few areas that have some linear excoriations um, and the irritation is uh, not exactly uniform. So for this patient, what is your diagnosis? And then what are some other things that you might be thinking? But what's your initial thought? Anyone? So he's got some skin irritation. His leaks have been more frequent. It's kind of always on the right side. It's not uniform. Right. So in this, in this case, you think, well, it's probably not the adhesive to the back because you'd see it, you'd see it uniform around the whole skin. Um, he's having more leaks, so whenever you have leaks, that caustic output sits on the skin. Um, I know this patient well, so I know he's not very compliant, and every time I see him, his bag is leaking, and he's like, eh, whatever. So I know that he probably sits for a long time and doesn't change it when he should. Um, so, yeah, and then anything else, so it could be leaking could be, you know, it could be an appliance. Maybe he's only putting, you know, a skin barrier on one side or, you know, things like that. Um, but, yeah, so initially, you know, we're like, well, it's just some skin irritation from mechanic, um, that's mechanical from his appliance leaking. Um, but, obviously, in the back of your mind, we're going to try some things, but we should also be thinking if this doesn't work, you know, is it a fungal infection? Because, again, like I said, it's warm and moist. Um, is it an adhesive to the, or an allergy to the adhesive? or um, also those kind of specific skin diseases that also could come into play. So what would you recommend this patient to do? And this is, let's say, you know, you don't have the WOCM that can come in and see the patient, and you're just trying to give him some initial recommendations while he's in your clinic. So, you know, ask him what he's doing, watch him do it. You want to make sure that, that the opening is not too big. Sometimes they, we have barrier rings, you know, all those things. And, again, I wouldn't expect you to know all these little details, but um, that's a good first thought of just how is he doing it, and then, you know, we can make some initial recommendations on that. So um, a lot of times when there's actual skin irritation, um, we use stoma powder and some what we call skin barrier wipes where we call it a crusting technique so we're basically applying powder and then a wet skin barrier wipe and then powder and you're basically crusting up that skin so that when you are applying the um, appliance to it um, and if something does leak on it that skin is protected. Um, Again a lot of education about you know a patient likely knows that it's going to leak or leak eventually because it'll start to get itchy and you can feel it under the skin, but it doesn't get, mean it's going to leak in the next, you know, five, ten minutes. So some patients, you know, push their luck and they'll wait hours or even, you know, till the next day because they know they have some time, but that's when you get the skin irritation because it's all of that stool and output that's sitting on the skin, and it's, essentially it's the exact same thing as a really bad diaper rash. Um, it's just a little bit harder to um, manage because um, you can't use all the same creams and whatnot that we can for uh, a baby. Um, and again, we could t- you know we could have him try a different brand or appliance. Maybe it's not that it's, he's allergic to it, but maybe that brand just isn't sticking as well, and something else were. And then we have a heavy-duty marathon. It's called Marathon Skin Protectant that we use. It's basically it looks like super glue, and it will protect the skin for a few days, which can be super helpful. So the same patient one month later presents um, 
again for follow-up and he says that he's done everything um, that you've recommended and been compliant um, but the pain and irritation is worsening now he has severe areas um, that are increasing in size the back's not sticking at all he's um, miserable but other than that he doesn't have any other um, any other changes and then when you look at his exam, this is what it looks like. So obviously it's much, much worse. You see these um, large weeping ulcers. Um, it's got some violaceous borders. It's extremely ten um, tender, but otherwise the rest of his um, exam is fine. So anybody remember what that might be? Yeah. So um, this is... Um, an example of peristomal bioderma gangrenosum. Um, definitely, um, I've only, in my clinic, I've only ever seen it in IBD patients. I've never seen it in anyone else. Um, and so when, of course, this, this often happens, you know, when we ask the patient and we said that pyoderma and thinking that he's not ever going to know what this means, you know, and try to explain it, he's like, oh, yeah, I had that on my legs like five years ago. And we're like, oh, okay. So when he had it before, he actually just used a steroid cream and the lesions resolved. Um, and, um, you know, and he hadn't got it back since. But for this patient, what would your recommendations be? Besides the dermatologist, what else might you be thinking? Um, and besides a WOCN to take care of the skin, what's the third component that you guys would actually be most involved in? Exactly. So um, the for the GI component of it. So again, the um, we want to refer to dermatology. Sometimes a, a biopsy of it, the areas needed for diagnosis. Um, the one important thing for the topical and for the um, for the stoma patient is that we can't use this, all the same steroid treatments that we could use on the arms or legs or somewhere else. So the best thing that we have is actually a clobetazole foam um, so that it'll quick dry really quickly. You're still getting the medicine to the area, but then you can pouch over it, and it shouldn't interfere too bad with adhesion. And then obviously we want to refer to um, GI to, you know, probably needs a scope, probably needs to get um, the rest of the bowel assessed to find out if there's active disease elsewhere. The other thing for this patient is if this is going on and he's having this, um, we're in the process of doing a J, you know, a J pouch procedure. So what is this going to mean for him? You know, does he possibly have Crohn's? He's got all those kind of signs before of fistulas and things that was all done before, you know, our hospital. <laughs> but um, so that would also be, you know, something that we're not going to move forward with any other um, surgical procedures with him until we get all of this um, under control. And again, it also might require systemic um, therapy. You know, even if they do a scope and find that he really doesn't have that bad of a disease, if we can't get this under control, he still may require systemic therapy just for the PG around the, around the stoma. So again, just to quickly review the skin complications, um, the ileostomy patients generally have more complications, and um, usually that's because that output's a little bit more caustic, and it's a really big um, problem that often goes unrecognized, so that's where you can help out with your patients to find out. Um, even just, you know, asking them. Oftentimes, they'll be at the, you know, GI doctor, and they don't really ever ask them about their stoma. But you also have to remember that a lot of these patients, if they're not having a lot of big problems, they're not following up with colorectal surgery on a regular basis. Um, 
Um, you know, a lot of times, especially for the UC or the permanent stoma patients, we tell them to come back if they have a problem, but they're not, they're not seeing us on a, on a regular basis all the time. And then just keep all these things in mind, kind of have to think about those DERM principles, that it could be a number of factors that might be involved. Um, as I said, a lot of patients don't seek help, but the main thing to re for them to remember and for you to remember is that the skin should look exactly the same as the rest of the um, um, patient's body. And then for PG specifically, it's a rare inflammatory skin disease. It doesn't happen um, very often, but definitely more common in IBD. Um, painful ulcers. Um, that's probably the biggest difference, too. Like, if for other patients with just regular skin irritation, it can be painful, but if you're not leaking on that skin, and generally they don't complain about it too much once you um, pouch it again, but in these, they will be painful um, most of the time. And then, um, again, um, you're looking for something that's going to look asymptomatic. Um, uh, symmetrical with some violaceous borders and you know this isn't hard to look at this and say there's something you know else going on here um, and then obviously sometimes we need a, a biopsy as well and then that multidisciplinary approach um, that we talked about